so today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. Now, we have at least one real estate agent in the house, and so if I asked her what is the number one rule of real estate, come on, location, 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 right? It's it, like, you can have like a shanty, but if you have location, like that's what I've heard my whole life, location, location, location. Let me give you an example, because Arkansas, I think, is a little bit different than where we came from in California. Because your prices are, although they're going up and, and, and houses are selling like crazy, our neighbor's house sold like that. Um, but uh, where I came from, I came, uh, where I came from, uh, I, I will always say this, I am a Texan, but I moved here from California, so that let's not get it twisted that I'm a Californian. My wife is a Californian, I am a Texan, okay? I picked her up in California, lived there half my life and brought her here, okay? Just so that we understand this. But where we lived in, in California, we lived in a town, and if you would have taken our house, so we sold our house in uh, what, three, four years ago almost, and if you would have picked up our house in Tracy, taken it 17 miles to the town that I worked in at our church in Livermore, our house, which was by no means any stretch of the imagination like this amazingly, I loved our house, it was, we remodeled it, uh, but if you would have picked it up and moved it 17 miles, it's a million plus dollar home. Okay, let me give you another understanding of location. San Jose, which was about 40 minutes away from where we lived. Uh, and, and listen, when I say that, you're going to be like, this is crazy. I, I, my brain can't even comprehend this. Um, there are houses there that literally burnt down. Burnt, there's not a, like there's a half a house burnt down on a like you could fit it on the as big as our, our church. That's how big the, la the, the plot of land. The house is even smaller. Okay, and it, would, it went for 1.5 million. A burnt down house. Somebody bought a burnt down house because the land, the location was valuable. And I can tell you the same thing that I say all of that because you're like, is this like a real estate plug? Like, what are we doing here? You know, <laughs> if you've got $10, I can sell you. No, I'm just playing. Um, but the, the reason why I start with that is because of this, is because just like real estate, Location, 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 it's the same thing spiritually. Where you decide to live spiritually will determine your value. Where you decide to live in your spirit will determine your value. Where have you been allowing yourself to live spiritually? Maybe you look at yourself and you see yourself as the fixer-upper. Right? Right? You're like, I need a, uh, a, a Gaines family to come and spiritually fix me. Oh, I've got potential. If I could just knock down some of these, these walls, I, could, I have so much potential. If I could get rid of this, this one little quirk or my, my negativity or my anger. I, I, man, I know I can be something great, but I don't know how to get there. Maybe you're a decent home in a ghetto neighborhood. <laughs> some of you are trying to figure out, what does that look like? Listen, when we moved to Camden, one of the, uh, we came in, in May before we ever bought a house, we came here and we were driving around because, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you very clearly in, in, on the West coast, there's like nice neighborhoods and there's bad neighborhoods and then there's in between, but there's not nice homes in bad neighborhoods and there's really not bad homes in nice neighborhoods. It just doesn't mix that way unless, you know, you've got some weird neighbors. Uh, but, but here you can literally drive down the street and there could be this really nice house. And then you're like, hear gunshots. Welcome to my neighborhood. Like, 
I live in the historic district. We live on a, on a good street. There's two, two or three streets that are really good. And if you go about four or five streets down, not so much. It can get a little sketchy at times. And then what's funny, though, is you can drive through there and you'll see a nice house. And you're like, how does that belong there? So, so maybe spiritually you're like that. You're like, you're, you feel good, but you feel like you're, you're, you're just, you're missing. You're not in the place where like, I, I feel inside that I've got all these things working inside of me, but I just feel out of place with my purpose. Maybe you're a, you're a house on a plot of land. Some of you are like, yeah, that's my kind of house. You know, the log cabin on 20 acres. Some of you are like, Hey, sign me up. Now, can I tell you that, although in real life that may sound really, really good, um, spiritually that can be really, really bad because what that means is you're isolated. I want to be connected, but, but I'm afraid to let people in or, or I don't know how to get connected with people, life groups. Um, no subtle plugs. No subtle plugs. Where you live spiritually will determine your value. See, can I tell you this? That God has a dwelling place for us, and it's him. So many times we try to fix life or just make it feel good with temporary living arrangements. You know, you, oh, well, I, can, I can live here for a little bit. I, I, can, I, can, I can put up with those roommates for a little bit. And the problem is, is that when you, when you compromise or when you allow the little things in your life to, to eat away, you know, you get into a situation with a roommate and all of a sudden you're like, they're not who I expected them to be. All of a sudden you realize they're hoarders or they're, they're you know, how about quirky things? Oh, I love marriage. Can I tell you I love marriage? Because you start to find out stuff about your, oh, man. <laughs> April's over there. Watch it. Watch it. Uh, listen, I'm just saying, like, I remember the first time my wife put, like, a beauty mask thing on. <laughs> listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm the guy that really shouldn't be married almost 19 years. He should be, like, dead and buried because he'll say something that he goes, oh, I probably should have thought that, not said it out loud. Because she walks in. I'm like, what is that? What's going on? Um, <laughs> you know, because listen, when, when you haven't seen that side of it, or, and I'm not saying this is me or Stephanie, I'm just saying like quirkinesses of marriage, like where they clip their, fring their fingernails and toenails, that could start a fight. <laughs> that could start a fight. You know, are you a shower person? Are you a over the, over the uh, you know, uh, trash can person or are you like a bed person like like seriously if you're a bed person like we're gonna fight and we're gonna talk and we're gonna get those demons out of you um toenails and fingernails should not just be like floating around in the the everness of your life they need a place okay you need to how you eat ice cream oh you obviously haven't been around enough people if, you, if that if you don't understand that how people eat ice cream could be a, that could be Come on. Come on. Now, that's not my wife. I'm not saying, listen, I'm, this is more my child. Uh, we're just like, I'm like, bro, I'm about to end you and make another one. Like, it's the quirkinesses. See, the thing is, is that what we allow, oh, I can deal with that for a little bit. It's the same thing spiritually. Oh, I can, I can put up with this flaw for a little bit. Oh, it's just who I am. And God's going, no, I didn't design you that way. 
I didn't create you that way. Why are you remodeling the thing that I created? Why are you adding or trying to take away things that I've created? I I am your dwelling place. If you don't believe me, look at Psalms 91, 1 through 2. You're probably thinking, I thought we were in Philippians. We'll get there. Psalms 91, 1 through 2. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So Psalms 91 is a great transition into uh, Philippians 3, verse 1, because it's the same kind of theme for Philippians 3, where we set up residency determines our reward, our focus, and our calling. Uh, My wife was watching, I came home for lunch one day, my wife was watching uh, a documentary on Corey Tinboom. How many know uh, who she is, or at least a, a little bit, ever, ever heard the name? She was uh, a Polish girl who, uh, her and her sister ended up being captured by the Nazis, uh, going to concentration camps. She survived, I don't think her sister did, um, and when she came out, she also found Jesus before that and through this process, like her spiritual walk. And she tells a story in the documentary about how one of the guys that she was at the concentration camp, one of the Nazis, interacted with her right afterwards, um, after they had been freed and, and stuff like that. And he came up and he wanted to apologize for what they did. Now, her mind, she saw him and he was one of the ones that was an issue with her sister, and he said, he said can, you, can you forgive me? And reached out his hand. Now, think about this. Think about the things we're not willing to forgive people for. Like, you ate my last Snickers. You looked at me wrong. And now y'all can sit there and say whatever you want, but you looked at me wrong? I know enough people that have not forgiven people over a look. I'm not, I'm not seriously not looking at anybody. I'm just saying. How many of you, like, your whole day is ruined because, did they look at, why'd they look at me that way? He reaches out her hand, and she said, in the documentary, she was talking about how everything inside of her couldn't. She couldn't reach her hand out and ask for forgiveness. And in that moment, she silently prayed a prayer that God, that, that, that God would soften her heart and get, get, move her to the place where he was. And it literally broke her in that moment to where she was able to reach out her hand and say, and, and give forgiveness to a Nazi soldier. She said this, you're, here, you're going to hear a couple of uh, quotes from Corey Tinboom today, and one of them is this, and I, and I love this, it kind of sets up the theme for Philippians 3, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I love that statement. I've heard it many times in, in my spiritual walk. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God knows your future, even though you don't. Even though you may have questions about it, even may, though you may have concerns, even though you may not see it, God knows your future. Gets, it could get really sticky into a lot of deep theology that I'm not going to get into today, but I believe that God knows every option, every choice that we're going to have before us, and he knows. That's why he says that he is a path. He is a light upon our path. He didn't say that he is a, one of those big old like 10,000 lumen uh, flashlights that can, you know, brighten the light and lead a whole brigade through a forest. He's a light. What does that mean? He is literally going to show you step by step because if you saw the next issue that you had to face, maybe you wouldn't go. 
Because in you, you wouldn't be able to, I can't face that God. And you're going, but you got to wait till you get there. Maybe you can. I can't, I see what's coming in three years and, and God, I'm not strong enough. And he goes, you know what? You're right. You're not right now. But if you trust me and you walk with me, we're going to get you there. And so there's this, this idea that God is a past. So I'm going to trust an unknown future to a known, loving, caring God. So let's get to Philippians. Philippians 3.1. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, talking to you guys and me, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. So I've got uh, four thoughts this morning, and the first one comes directly out of Philippians 3.1, and my, my thought is this, rejoice, because it safeguards your faith. How many like to laugh? Right? I mean, I feel like we should all like to laugh. I feel like it should be something that, you know, you, you have joy, you like to, I mean, I, I've never met a person that says, I hate laughter. I hate fun. Like, like you're the Grinch or something, you know? I think having fun is horrible. Now, here's the funny part. When we moved here, and I'm not saying this about Camden, but I'm saying this about a religious spirit that kind of oversees church is that when, when I say statements like, we should have fun in church, there are a lot of people that get up in arms like, what do you mean? We can't have fun in church? That's an abomination to the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I don't know if we can make it any simpler. I love to laugh. I love Christian comedy. Now, not all of it. Some of it's really corny. Really corny. But now, if you want to know some, some really funny, like, look up Tim Hawkins. That man is, I mean, that guy will have, I've seen him four, three or four times in uh, live in concert. That man is hilarious. Tim Hawkins. Uh, and there's some other ones. If you want to know some good Christian comedians to look up on YouTube, uh, there are some really good. There's this one. His name's Bobby, and I can't remember his last name. But uh, he's like this skinny, and he's from Texas, and he talks like this. That's his real voice, y'all. And he does this whole stick about how he's, and he's married, and he's got kids, and he goes, I'm the only guy that if somebody broke into my house, I could stand up at the top of my stairs and go, you better get out of here. I'm going to tell my husband to come get you. See, look at that. It's hilarious. I love to laugh. I believe that laughter and having fun and, 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 and doing life with people where you, you know, sometimes as Christians, we need to tell our face that we're happy. You know? How's life? It's good. You sure? <laughs> I'm, not buying, I'm not buying it. We got to be okay to, to enjoy life. You're only, you're only here once. Now, you may get to heaven, and, and you're going to be really sad because I believe rejoicing the Lord is something that's going to be a staple in heaven. Because I love what Paul says in this letter. He says, I never get tired of telling you these things because it safeguards your faith. I believe people that have a negative, um, and I'll say this, I believe that, there, that the world and the society that we live in has breathed in a lot of uh, depressive, anxious, worried, um, negative people. And as Christians, we need to learn how to fight that. And some of that is just by forcing yourself to have fun, by forcing yourself to enjoy life and say, you know what? I, I may not be, I, I have to get out of my comfort zone. It's okay to, you know, be laughed at at times. It's okay to, you know, laugh at people. And not, there's a thin line here. So I'm trying to, trying to walk that line real carefully. It's not okay to make fun of people. 
and laugh at them. Like, don't throw a brick and start laughing. That's horrible, okay? But if, if I'm sitting there with Rodney and, and, and a group of guys and we're just cutting up and we're laughing at each other, that we know that we're having fun. Don't be sarcastic and mean, but enjoy life. Stop being so adultish all the time. And enjoy, like, you know, oh, I got to pay bills and go to work and blah, 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 blah. There's to, I'll have fun when I retire. What if you don't make it? What if you look back on your life and you go, I wish I would have enjoyed more? Now, listen, I'm not saying just be carefree and willy-nilly about everything. I'm just going to blow my money and have fun. No. It's not what your pastor's saying either. He's saying have a balance. Go to work. Do your thing. But, man, you know what? You got to know how to have fun. You got to know how to rejoice. You got to know how to, to enjoy life because it safeguards your face. There's something about being joyful and cheerful and happy. It changes our mental, emotional, and spiritual settings. Like if you want to know how to have a good reset, like start to find joy. Stop searching for the bad. Stop searching for the negative and start searching for the positive. What's one positive thing that happened today? And Go to bed with that thought in your brain. Wake up and go, what's one thing that I can do that can make somebody smile? Because when somebody smiles over something you did, guess what naturally happens? You smile too. Oh, you'll never believe what I did. Man, somebody, somebody said, thank you for this. If you don't believe me, there's more scripture. Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine. My kids hate when I, matter of fact, everybody in my house hates when I tickle them. But I'll, uh, it's, it sounds so creepy, doesn't it? Like, I'm just going around, hey. But I really am. Like, ask my family how often I just walk up to one of them and start tickling them. Because I, and part of it is I love to be annoying, but the other part of it is I love to, like, I love to hear their laughter. On the flip side of that, sometimes I have to tell myself not to get annoyed with it because as a parent, trying to watch this TV, shut up. That's never came out of any of y'all's mouth, just mine, I know. Okay, and, uh, and, 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 and my wife said something one time. I think we were watching a movie in the living room, and they were, I don't, they, they were being kids, and, and my 15 and 10, they don't always get along, you know what I mean? Um, and so uh, I remember they were, they were laughing and having fun, and I, like, my natural state was like, you're interrupting my fun, so you need to be quiet. And I, went, I think I went to go yell something, and Stephanie was like, they're getting along and having fun. Leave them alone. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> we got to have fun. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Ooh, you want to know why you're so tired? Maybe look at the outlook of how you're seeing life. Are you always overwhelmed, worried, weighed down with stress? Maybe you need a vacation. I thought I'd get a little more amen than that. Y'all go ahead, stress yourself out then, I guess. Maybe you need to go take a walk in the wilderness. Maybe you just need to go and get some fresh air and just spend some time out. Maybe you need to go to a park. I'm so thankful that our, our, our city is cleaning up that, uh, that pool. Hey, man. We no longer have Swamp Camden. We now have an actual pool getting back functioning. Thank you, Kevin. Um, but... Uh, we just need to get out. Listen, some of us, I think we think, well, I can't afford to enjoy life. That's such a bunch of, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever you want, you know, not whatever you want. <laughs> it doesn't take money to enjoy life. Now, it helps. 
going on it like, listen, I'm not going to lie. If you could say, where's, if you could go anywhere after church, I'm going to say, put me on a beach somewhere. Amen. See, right? <laughs> she couldn't like, take, take me with you. It's like, man, just put me on a beach somewhere and let me just sit there and enjoy the waves hitting the, the, the sand. Amen. And for some of you, you hate beaches. That's fine. Go find a, a tree to, you know, go walk through. I don't know. The big old sequoias. You say, ah. I don't know. Go catch a fish. Go shoot a, a turkey season's coming up. Just don't go shoot it beforehand because that's like a $750 find I found out this week. Not because I shot one. <laughs> I was in court where somebody had to pay that fine. <laughs> yeah. Just get out and enjoy. Find a way to break that spirit because it's going to sap your energy and your strength. Don't let all these new age people go, oh, your aura. Forget your aura. Your spirit is dying because you're allowing all of the negativity to sap you. You need to find some cheerfulness. No matter what happens, you need to rejoice. I love this uh, quote from Corey Tinboom. She says this, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. The Bible says it this way, is that what good does, uh, does worrying do for tomorrow will have enough to worry, worry of itself? I want to focus on today and I want to give my all to what God has before me today. Can I tell you, it's okay to rest. And I can, can I tell you that so much in this day and age, we're told, go, 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 go. That's why the Bible said on the seventh day, God rested. Do you think God really needed to rest? No, he's God. His energy was not sapped. He was setting up a standard for us. That you need to rest. That's why after church on Sundays, I love to go and take a nap. I ain't going to lie. I don't have to lie to kick it. Your pastor sleeps after church. Unless it's football season. Then he sleeps and wakes up, sleeps and wakes up, sleeps and wakes up, trying to catch parts of the game. And then I'll, you know, maybe tool around in my garage this afternoon. But listen, I don't try to do major, like, not every hour of my day needs to be filled with doing something to make it look like I'm successful or productive. And I know some of you are built differently. My wife is built differently. She, if, the, if things are out of place, she is constantly, I mean, she makes me nervous. Like she, constantly moving stuff. I'm like, will you stop? This isn't where this belongs. I don't care. <laughs> Just enjoy. Let's sit down and watch a castle. Not a castle, but the show castle. <laughs> it's like, why are y'all watching castles? That's weird. Um, but just enjoy. Worry doesn't empty tomorrow. It's all, it empties today of its strength. So points two, three, and four, they're going to be pretty quick. But we got to read Philippians 3, 7 through 10 and 12 through 14 to get there. So let's read Philippians 3, 7 through 10. So the first point is, you know, we got to rejoice, right? So Philippians 3, 7 through 10, I once thought these things were valuable. Now, if you want to know what these things are, here's the easiest religious mindset. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, listen, I was better than all of y'all. He's like, listen, as far as being a Jew, oh, I was a Jew of Jews. Like, that's what he was saying. I, was the, I came from the tribe of Benjamin. I was better than all of y'all. I knew all the scriptures. I, listen, I was so good that when I thought I was following the right thing, I was killing people for faith. Like, I'm really good. 
So that's what he's saying. I once thought these things were valued, the religious lineup. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. My point number two is this, the value of knowing Christ. We've got to rejoice, but we also got to know where our, our, our joy comes from. The value of knowing Christ. And in this set of scripture, he makes it really clear. He says that you got to let go and give control to God. Hello. You got to stop trying to win at life on your own. You got to stop forcing your opinion into Christ's word. Stop reading the Bible through the lens of what I want. And so many times that's how we read the Bible is that we go, well, where can I find scripture that backs up my point? No, no, how about you read scripture that may shift your point? It may change your thought process. I want to live with God in control. And that's tough. Because what if he says, quit your job? What if he says, you're not doing things right? What if he says, give up this addiction? What if he says, step out in faith and, and do something that seems absolutely nuts? Letting go and giving control. It also says in this uh, set of scriptures, not trying to do things on my own or earn his love. Listen, this is the most freeing thing I may say today. You can't earn Jesus' love. Mm. We earn everybody else's love, right? Which is why it's natural for us to want to earn Jesus' love. I mean, we earn our, our spouse's love or our significant other's love, right? We chase them down. We, you know, some of you are like, well, you did What? Listen, you got to do what you got to do. It's Hunger Games out there in the love business. We, 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 listen, guys, we are not naturally that creative. But we will do whatever it takes for, our, for that person that we like. I made, some of y'all don't even, well, some of you do. Some of you, I know the teenagers have no clue what a mixtape is. <laughs> Their idea of a mixtape is a Spotify playlist. Um, I remember sitting for hours going through my Napster account, illegal, um, and <laughs> picking love songs to put on a CD. Oh, this is real cheesy, right? But this is for reals, okay? Putting love songs on a CD, burning them to a disc, and then going and making fettuccine Alfredo for my wife when we were dating and doing a picnic at a park. Now, do you think that I would do that just for myself? Heck no. No. Listen, if I'm, I'll go to Olive Garden, get to go and go home and watch something. That, that would, I'd be happy enough with that. But for my wife, I wanted to show her I'm a romantic. Now, I will say, I am a natural romantic. I, I, like, even, I, love, I have no shame. Y'all can take my man card all you want. I like rom-coms, okay? I just watched that new one with uh, J-Lo and uh, Owen Wilson. It was good. Marry me. It was sweet. Some, look, some of you guys are judging me right now. Stop it. Leave me alone. Man up and, 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 and watch some rom-com, okay? It's easy to like action movies. It's harder to be a man and love rom-coms. <laughs> but we do. We, we chase after. We, we, we want to show them, oh, I love you. We, and then we get to Jesus, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more. 
You could look the part all day long and it doesn't matter. I love you still. You could look like you're, you're the best Christian in the world or you could look like you just walked in from having a two-day binge on, on drugs and I love you the same. You could look like you have it all together or you could look like a, just a hot mess. Jesus loves you. Now, the act of discipleship, the act of sanctification where you get closer to him and he shows you your purpose and he shows you his heart for you, that's different. But his love is the same for everyone. He loves you and you don't have to earn it and you don't have to do anything to jump through the hoops. And he says, we got to stop trying to do stuff that we think, oh, well, Jesus is going to love me more if I look and act and speak and do this. No, no, no. I do all of that because I'm in love with him. In this set of scripture, it also says that it builds our faith. I become righteous through faith in Christ. And knowing God, uh, value, uh, the, the value of knowing Christ, to know Christ and experience his power. That's one of my favorite lines in that whole set of scripture where he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. So many of us want to come to church and then we want to have a moment with him. We want to have that goosebump feeling, right? Ooh, the hairs on my arm stood up. It was a good day. What if you don't get the hairs on your arm to stand up, but your spirit changes? I don't want to create an emotional change in you. I want to create a spiritual change in you where, where you want nothing but Jesus. So you could walk away and go like, eh, it was okay, but something deep inside of you starts to work. That's what I want. Where, where, where you go to your Monday morning and you go, man, there's something inside of me that's hungering after being a different person. Man, you know what? I, I spent five minutes in, in devotion today and it was amazing. I think I said it last week uh, where, where I had an encounter with Rodney. We were out talking and he said, man, I had, he, he posted on Facebook uh, last week that, I think it was last week or the week before, you know, he was listening to worship music all day. And I love that. And when I talked to him later that day, he was just like, I can't believe how much it changed my whole day. Yeah, because Jesus and knowing and experiencing him is so valuable. I don't want to just know of him. I want to know him. I put it like this. Uh, the best way I can describe it is as a football player. And uh, Brian was saying, yo, you're a Cowboys fan? Oh, I'm sorry. I know. It's sad. Um, listen, after this season, I'm sad too because we had so much potential. I'm not bitter. But the best way I can describe it is this. Growing up a Cowboys fan, I knew everything about the players. So I knew, you know, how many know who Emmitt Smith is, greatest running back ever to run, right? Um, don't come at me. Don't you give me this Walter Payton, Barry Sanders junk. I will fight you in the name of Jesus, okay? But I could tell you everything about him. Five foot 10, 207 pounds, comes from Florida. I could give you his stat, like, you know, the, the crazy soccer dude. That was me. Oh, you must, have you met him before? Nope, never seen him in my life. <laughs> I knew of Emmett Smith, but I didn't know him. And so many times we treat God the same way. Well, I can quote John 3, 16. Well, I've been to a lot of church services. Oh, I, I, I love, uh, you know, I love getting me just a little bit of an emotional attachment to some worship music. But when it's like, how is God absolutely, well, I've never allowed him to absolutely change me because I'm afraid. What happens if I give him complete control? And I'm telling you, I want to experience the power. I want to experience the power that I know that when, when somebody comes and says, will you pray for me? I know that the, the prayer inside of me has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the spirit of God that's in me. 
that, that I've experienced God. I've seen the healings. I've seen the miracles. I've seen that. And I, I want to experience more of that. I, wanna, I, want, I, I want to show people that God's love and power is real and mighty. And it has nothing to do with doing all the religious do's and don'ts. But it has everything to do with falling in love with Jesus. The value of knowing Christ. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. And this is where we're going to wind up with points three and four that are real quick, actually, like two seconds of my notes. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. So here's Paul saying, listen, there's a lot of things that, 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 that I have done, a lot of things that are religious rules, and, and, here's, and, and I'm striving for perfection. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Did you catch that saying that he said twice, and it's very important, and the third point is this, we gotta press on. We gotta press on. He says, he says, but I press on to possess that perfection. And then later on he says, I press on to reach the end of the race. Paul is making a very clear lesson here that things of God do not accidentally happen. Who you want to be takes pressing on. I used to tell students this uh, in high school. Who do you want to be when you graduate? When you're 18, 19, 20 years old, who do you want to be? And a lot of them, they have this whole game plan. Oh, I want to go to this college, and I want to be this person, and I'm going to do this in life. And I'm like, how are you going to get there? I don't know. The problem is, is that that mentality will follow you. When you're 20, 21, what do you want to do? Well, when I grow up, you're 21. You're kind of already starting to be grown. When I get married, or, or let's bring it into the spiritual one. One day... I want to know God. One day I'll, I'll, I'll go to church. One day I'll get right with him. How are you going to do that? I don't know. See, here's the thing. Is that who you want to be now, who you want to be in five years has to start now. You don't just fall into money if you're, if you're a millionaire. You, you, you start a process that nobody sees. You go get the, the business LLC or, or you go get investors and, and you start to build this thing and, and all of a sudden it's like, man, there's success on the horizon. Spiritually, it's no different. Who do you want to be in three years? What kind of person, what kind of man or woman, husband or wife, uh, brother, sister, sibling, whatever, you fill in the blank, coworker, who do you want to be? Because you got to start doing that now. Those baby steps of faith where I go, I, I press on, I press in. I love what Paul says. Is that I haven't reached perfection, but every day I wake up and I press into perfection. I press into being the best version. How many would, would agree with me that we live in a society that loves to make excuses? Well, I tried, but they. I would, but them, him, he, it. That teacher, that coworker, my boss, if only they would have. What about I pressed into perfection and it had nothing to do with anybody else but Jesus? 
And I didn't let anybody else define or determine who I'm going to be because I'm just going to live my life close to Jesus and I'm going to lean into that and I'm going to run the race that he has called me to. The past is there to learn from. It's not there to condemn you. Some of you need to hear that. The past is there to learn from. It's not there to condemn you. If your past is condemning you, you need to tell it to shut up. Your past doesn't get to define your future. You can let it. Oh, you can let your past define your future. Oh, you can let what everybody has ever said about you or the lies of the enemy tell you, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, you'll need, you're, you're faking everybody now. But you'll fall. You'll make a mistake. You'll run back to it. The thing that you let go of, you'll run back to it because it's in you. It's who you are. And the enemy wants you to get you to believe that lie so that you don't press on to the perfection that is before Jesus. The past is to learn from. Jesus will never condemn you. Your focus determines your future. So put your eyes where your future is going. I always say this with motorcycles, and, and we got a few motorcycle riders here. Your eyes go, your bike goes where your eyes go. It's dangerous to start looking around on a motorcycle. I've done it a time or two. <laughs> In California, we had these delta rides, and we'd ride through the deltas, and these beautiful flowers are blooming, and the trees, and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. And so all of a sudden, you start looking like this. All of a sudden, your bike starts doing this. <laughs> you're like, oh, well, maybe I need to look more straight. You know, you start doing these quick glances. Out of, the, out of the corner of your eye. That's a beautiful, you know. But if I look where I'm going, man, I always hit my target. Your focus determines your future. Your race determines your reward. If you don't like what you're reaping, plant something new. If you don't like the negativity, plant something new. If you don't like how, how, how people respond to you, plant something new. Do what you can to change so that others will live around this positive, spiritual, Jesus-loving person. Your race determines your reward. Find a new race. Let me get really spiritual as, as I close on point four. Cool Runnings. How many know the movie? Right? Oh, man, that was like one of my favorite. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Let's go, Jamaica. It's bobsled time. Come on. Some of y'all, that's your, that's, your, that's your goal today. Go home and watch Cool Runnings. The whole predication of that movie is he was a track star. He had been training and training. His dad was an Olympic track star. He's been training to be a track star. And then some rich kid ruins it stumbles and falls and takes him and another guy out. How easy would it have been to say, oh, man, that, you, ran, you messed up my run. You, I, I'm going to be a loser now because you gotten in my way. It'd be really easy to do that. I was going to be successful if it wasn't for the type of family that I was born into. What did, he, what did they do? He said, oh, I'm going to be an Olympian. So he started like researching, how can I get into the Olympics? Let's be a bobsledder. I can run. Let me go find three other people that can run with me. And what did he do? He changed the race so he could get the reward. 
He changed the race of where he was going. His focus was, was I want to be an Olympian. And so he said, it's not going to be in track, which I thought my whole life I was going to be. So I'm going to change the race so that I'm successful. And it's no different with Jesus. Sometimes we need to change the race. We need to stop looking for, for all of these external things, and we need to say, Jesus, I'm ready to run with you, whatever that looks like. I'm going to be the best boss. I'm going to be the best husband. I'm going to be the best wife. I'm going to be a better uh, uh, parent. I'm going to be a better coworker because I'm not running your race. I'm going to run the race Jesus has before me. Success isn't predicated on what everybody else does. I'm going to press on to reach the purpose of Jesus in my life, which leads me to my last point. You have a calling. And I hope this settles deep down in each and every one of your heart. You have a calling. One of my favorite people that I love to read is A.W. Tozer. Old school cat that literally could have been preaching to us. He said this, let every man abide in the calling where he is called and his work will be sacred as the work of the ministry. It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. So let me make it personal. Being an eye doctor can be sacred work. Being a plumber can be sacred work. Being a stay-at-home mom and wife, that can be, is a sacred work. Hello. Being retired can be sacred. Being a Real estate agent can be sacred. Hanging out with the guys and tuning engines can be sacred. Being a teacher can be sacred. We got to get through this idea that what happens on Sunday morning is sacred and what we do out there is secular. Everything we do is sacred when our heart and mind is tuned into God. Because how do you know you're not fixing somebody's house but... They're seeing somebody who loves Jesus in the process. Or you're teaching students and they're seeing somebody who cares and loves them in the process. Maybe just getting off of an addiction. That's sacred. Maybe the only fight you have is to get off of that addiction. To turn you into the person that God has called you to be so that you can find your purpose. Everything we do can be sacred. And that's where the American church, the Western church, gets it so twisted. It's become, we come to church and we want the holy, but we leave it here. I'm telling you, everything we do, every interaction we have, doesn't mean you're perfect, you're, you're, right, you're pressing on for perfection. That means that you take God's holiness everywhere we go and we make it sacred so that the world will know that Jesus is real and that you can experience his goodness and kindness I'm going to end with another, another Corey Ten Boom. Some of you are going to go home and be like, who is this girl that he was so in love with in this message? She's amazing. If maybe you don't hear anything else, you hear this quote. The measure of a life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. What are you donating to this world? lived 100 years, don't remember a thing about him. <laughs> Could you, like, it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? I would rather it say they were on this earth for 20 years and they made an impact than lived 100 years and we can't even remember who they are.
Because the reality is, is how, no matter how rich, how famous, how powerful or big you are, in 200 years, most people will never remember who you are. Name the fourth president. I mean, unless you're Liam, I don't know another person that probably could. Think about that. Somebody say Samuel Adams. <laughs> I have pastor ears. My ears perk up to see if they're right. But that's the point, right? Name the second person that touched the moon. Exactly. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. The point is this. Is that I want to do something so powerful with my life. That whether or not anybody remembers my name, they remember the cause that I lived for. I don't care if I'm successful by the world's standards. I don't care if I barely make enough to make ends meet. I don't care if there's a lot of things I don't care about. What I do care about is I want to take a busload of people to Jesus in heaven with me. I do. I want my donation to be more important than my duration. Every day we shape our calling. We wake up and we ask God to give us opportunities to make him known. Less of me, more of him. I hope I, hope I speak, think, and live how you want me to live. And I want to love like you love. We put day after day together to change the world around us. That's the fruit of our calling. If you want to be different, do different. I, I don't know. I'm just a simple man. I'm a simple man. Don't make it complicated. I've got to pray two hours a day. No, you don't. The Bible says that your prayer life should just be consistent. I've got to read my word two, two hours a day and I've got to become a theologian. No, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. Can you tell people about Jesus? Better yet, can you tell them what Jesus has done for you? Because they could care less how many Greek words you know. Let me tell you about exegesis. Who's extra Jesus? Or eisegesis? We going to war? No, no, no. See, they don't care. Like some of you are like, is always even real words? Yes, they are. They're theolo theological words that nobody cares about. Unless you're having a theological conversation. But if I tell you that, you know what, at 14 years old, the weekend I was supposed to go get high and drunk, I instead decided to go to Jesus and go to church with my best friend, and it radically changed my life. And because of that moment, I've never been drunk, and I've never been high, and I devoted my life to the calling of Jesus, and now I am standing here. That's my testimony. All of a sudden, people go, wow. Jesus did that for you. Yeah, and he can do that for you too. People care about what is happening to you. And so when I give them Jesus, I want to give them the realest version of myself. Will you pray with me? I believe Philippians 3 could be a catalyst for so much of our life that we say, I am pressing on towards the purpose that God has called me. I want to run the race that Jesus has for me. I want to I wanna give my life to that Jesus. I don't want to do religion. I want to love Jesus and I want to live for him. 
And maybe you're sitting here and you have, you have pushed against that or you have walked away from that or you just have not been trusting Jesus with your life. And today you're making a statement saying, I'm going to trust my life to Jesus. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Here's the simplest thing is, is that there's no such thing as a, a specific prayer. We could say, call it sinner's prayer, whatever, salvation prayer. It's really simple. It's your heart saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I lay my sin down at your cross. And I give you my heart. For those that raise their hand right now, God, I pray that you would do that in their life. That you would talk to their heart and that you would give them your presence over everything, over every uh, thought process, every addiction, every hurtful word, everything that they have ever thought negative of themselves and that your spirit would fall over them. God, for each and every one of us, I pray that we would step up and say, I'm pressing in. I'm pressing, I'm pressing into the purpose of God. I'm pressing in to his calling for my life. God, I want to rejoice more. I want to laugh more. I want to enjoy life more. And I know that that is found in you. And so, Jesus, I, I speak that and I pray that over our people. God, I pray to end this service for Ukraine because I believe every day we should be lifting our voice up to the, for them. We ask that you put your hand over them. Give them safety. And I know that sounds like such a crazy prayer when, when at this moment we know that lives are on the line and bombs are falling down. And we're so separated from that life right now. But God, we can do what we can do, which is to lift up and ask for all of heaven to move on their behalf. God, I've listened to testimony after testimony of things that you are doing over there. Continue to do that. That people would come and be drawn to you. I pray the same thing over Camden, God, that we would live in such a way that people are drawn to your goodness. God, bless the rest of our week, but even more so, God, let us go live a blessing to you out in this world. Give us opportunity to share your love and your purpose, and we love you, Jesus, and I thank you for our freedom, family, and we give you glory and honor. In your name we pray, amen.